welcome to the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I am Aaron Weldon. The month of June means it's the season of Pentecost, celebration of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and for us here in the U.S., it's Religious Freedom Week. The week begins June 22nd, the Feast of Saints Thomas More and John Fisher, and it goes up through June 29, the Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. The theme for this year is Life and Dignity for All. We have some great resources available at usccb.org slash religiousfreedomweek to help people pray and take action for a variety of different religious freedom topics and to discuss some of the issues that we're addressing during Religious Freedom Week and some of our approach to this year's Religious Freedom Week. I am joined by my colleague, Lauren McCormick, who is our Director of Government Relations and really our lead advocate for the bishops on religious liberty issues. Lauren, thanks so much for taking time to, to join the podcast today. Thanks so much, Aaron. It's great to be back. Yeah, it's really great to do this in person. So this is makes a big difference, I think. It's very nice. So first, let's talk about the focus of this year's Religious Freedom Week. Um, why is the theme this year life and dignity for all? Well, I think when we were talking about this with the Committee for Religious Liberty looking at this week, we knew that it was very likely that the Supreme Court was going to be issuing its opinion in this landmark abortion case, Dobbs. And we knew that there would be some overlap here as the big decisions typically come out the very end of June. And at the same time, we know that the Committee on Pro-Life Activities at the Bishops' Conference, Archbishop Laurie, has been so intentional to make sure that we're communicating well, that we're redoubling our efforts to assist pregnant women and children in advance of and following whatever decision the court makes in the Dobbs case. So that's really the reasoning behind choosing the theme, life and dignity for all. We are trying to constantly lift up the the church's message about the protection of all human life, and that's particularly important during this generational moment for the pro-life movement and those who defend the rights of preborn children. So that's the um, core of it. And then mm-hmm. I think, you know, as folks look at our resources, you can see how we expanded that out into all of the ways that um, we as Catholics and the church fulfill that mission to promote life, whether it's through healthcare ministries, free speech, adoption and foster care, um, freedom of worship, all of that. Yeah, so the basic idea that we know that pro-life issues going to be what's on everybody's mind um, here at the end of June, although maybe with the delays and the opinions being given out, it could even be into July, but even so, we wanted to be a part of that conversation focus on where pro-life and religious liberty issues intersect. As you mentioned, our Pray, Reflect, Act resource is kind of our main, sort of our baseline um, resource, and then we do have other things, but that's our main one. And for that, we have a different issue for each day that people can pray, uh, prayer intention, a short reflection, and then some kind of action. Can you go a little bit more into detail about how the issues that are being taken up over the course of the the eight days, how those issues reflect back the theme and kind of this this focus on life and dignity for all. Well, I really like 
how we have done this Pray, Reflect, Act series because what what does it mean to celebrate Religious Freedom Week and to put our our support for religious freedom into action? And I think this this framework gives each of us as Catholics a way to act and pray and reflect mm-hmm. <laughs> about all these topics. Mm-hmm. So uh, the different topics of the the days throughout this time of June 22nd through the 29th are walking with moms in need, which is the uh, pastoral efforts uh, to support pregnant and parenting women um, to help them choose life. Uh, Another topic is church vandalism. We have been um, unfortunately faced with a series of attacks on Catholic churches, including vandalism. We've had several pro-life organizations, pregnancy resource centers who have been vandalized and even firebombed. I think we're up to three or four firebombings of pro-life organizations. Mm -hmm. So we focus on that issue for one day. And then we also have um, some of the kind of recurring themes that we've discussed a lot in in our religious freedom advocacy, things like the freedom of Catholic adoption and foster care providers to serve children and families consistent with our beliefs, uh, no taxpayer funding for abortion, and um, and then a few other things we, we always I think we're intentional to include the international context as well. So religious freedom in China is one of those topics and um, a few other things. So uh, that's a little bit more detail about the specific issues that we are encouraging Catholics to focus on as they're celebrating Religious Freedom Week. And for each of the topics, um, we break it down and, and give that prompt for prayer and reflection and then for several of them there's a concrete action that you can take to contact your legislators on that particular topic or do something else that puts that um, our our support for that issue into concrete action. Yeah I think the action part's helpful because oftentimes we're looking towards supreme court cases around this time of year there's not really anything you can do about the outcome of once it makes its way to an issue makes its way to the Supreme court. That's sort of out of your hands. So it's helpful to realize there are these ways that you can take action. I also, I mean, it occurs to me though, hearing you talk about contacting legislators that this is also an opportunity to kind of live out our vocation to be citizens. It's a, it's a way of participating in civic life too. So I think that that's that's helpful. Um, Of all of the issues that you discussed or that you just raised, I think that probably right now the biggest one in terms of what's the biggest on people's minds, like right there on the forefront of people's minds, is the uh, attacks on um, churches, church vandalism, arson, um, attacks on pro-life, on pregnancy resource centers. It's it's we get requests for interviews about it. It's definitely like the thing that sort of there's a lot of anxiety around that issue. But I think a lot of people, again, speaking about the action piece, a lot of people wonder, what can we even really do about that? Um, I've even seen 
discussions about this on like my church listserv. What could, what would we do if something were to happen to our parish? This is a tricky area because on the one hand, it can be very, very local. We work on the national level, but can you offer some from from our view here at the Bishops Conference? What are some things that people what steps can they can people take? It's a good question. And one thing that we have encouraged bishops and our state Catholic conference directors to do is to make sure that we have um, ongoing relationships with state and local law enforcement so that uh, the state and local authorities have, you know, know who to call and we know who to call. And we also have that at the federal level to make sure that we're communicating with the appropriate law enforcement authorities whenever we're aware of of a threat or an attack when it happens. And one thing that's also important if anyone, God forbid, ever experiences vandalism or uh, some kind of uh, attack in their local context, it's really important to make sure that that is reported to law enforcement so that they can have as much information as possible to see if the uh, attacks are connected. So that's one thing we definitely want to encourage doing. It's also really important from a public perspective to ask for our elected officials to condemn these attacks. Um, there, it is it is so the the opposite of who we are as Americans um, to see uh, the the church or any religious faith being targeted for their religious beliefs and and their exercise of that. So it's really important to have a unified bipartisan condemnation of all these attacks and to have that shared sense as Americans that we absolutely reject this mm-hmm. behavior and this targeting. And then uh, the last thing that we've we've actually worked on for, for several years, particularly with our interfaith partners, is encouraging uh, resources to be made available to um houses of worship and nonprofit organizations who are at higher risk of attack. There's a federal program called the Nonprofit Security Grant Program. Uh, it's it, We don't have a lot of Catholic participation in it from what I can tell because thankfully these these attacks on our churches are, are relatively new in the last few years, but there are other religious communities who, who really benefit from this support from the government to to protect their houses of worship and keep them safe. To worship, which is one of the most important functions of the government. So that's out there. And uh, I also know that there's a good number of non-public schools that, that benefit from that funding too. And I know of at least one Catholic school that has been able to access that funding to strengthen their security and prevent attacks going forward. So um, all of those things, the you know appropriate engagement with law enforcement, encouraging our elected officials to condemn the attacks and and then supporting resources to prevent the attacks from happening in the first place are things that we can and we do encourage everyone to do to deter these threats. Can you say a little more about engagement with other faith communities? Because as you mentioned, this is an issue that has affected other faith communities more than it has us. Um, so it tends to be it tends to mostly be Jewish communities making use of the nonprofit security grant program. But I also think that this is an issue that 
the vast majority of people would uh, would think that this is wrong. And I just, I guess I just wonder to what extent do you think it also helps to kind of build solidarity with other, with our neighbors, with our non-Catholic neighbors? Do you want to comment on that at all? It is, it's, it absolutely helps build solidarity. And I, I think um, we we got involved in this advocacy for the nonprofit security grant program. The conference s- supported the establishment of the program in 2005. This is in the wake of 9-11 when the Department of Homeland Security was being stood up. And um, the conference was a part of the coalition that supported this uh, the establishment of the program at that time. And then in recent years, we've we've advocated for more resources of the program because there are houses of worship and nonprofits who are not receiving the benefits because there's not enough resources to go along with the applications. And this was before we had, again, been facing this new spike in vandalism and attacks directed at Catholic churches. So uh, we have really good relationships with our interfaith partners in the, the Jewish and Sikh and Muslim communities who share that commitment to safety and freedom of worship. So um, I, I think it's it's been a, a good witness, and um, we just hope and pray that things go in the, the opposite direction of of reducing the number of ta- reducing the number of attacks. But we, in the meantime, we have this solidarity and are doing what we can in the interfaith community to mm-hmm. uh, support the program. Yeah, I think that's good. That obviously we're going to focus on the Catholic Church because that's that's kind of our job and our mission. But but to also do these things and advocate for these things out of a principle, this principle of that people have a right to be able to worship freely, um, that that we stand on that principle not only when it benefits us but for others, I think is really important. Like I said, church vandalism, though, that, that is something that's kind of in the news. Uh, maybe we wish it would be covered a little bit more, but in general it is something that, that people might be vaguely aware of. What issue do you think might be kind of flying under the radar, though? Like, do you think deserves more attention? Um, yeah, what is something people might not be aware of about what we're doing related to Religious Freedom Week? Well, I think my answer to this is kind of a, a constant uh, answer in this. In what I mean is that I think there's never enough attention on the good work that we are doing in the church's ministry. The Catholic Church is the largest non-governmental provider of social services in the United States, and we are we are carrying out the call of Jesus Christ to be his hands and feet in all of these aspects of life in so many ways that I think people don't always appreciate. And you just, you think about some of the recent challenges and tragedies that we've, we've seen both here in the U.S. and around the world, what comes to mind, the, the horrible shooting of, of children in Uvalde, the, if, if you've followed the news around that, Archbishop Gustavo has been virtually constantly present ministering to the families. 
um, saying the funerals for these children who have lost their lives and making sure that these families have the support they need. Um, another example is the war in Ukraine, the way that uh, our ministries and Catholics have stepped up to support displaced persons within Ukraine who have had to leave their homes or who have tried to had to travel across the border providing food and shelter. Um, these are the stories that I uh, that never get quite the attention that I think um, they deserve. And again, coming back to our theme of life and dignity for all, this um, this big decision that everyone is is talking about and debating in the public sphere about abortion and rights for for preborn children, and the church has been advocating and serving these serving women and preborn children since before Rose, since the beginning, from the very beginning, even in the earliest days of church history. So um, we are in no way uh, recent to all this work. And the Walking with Moms in Need project, which I encourage any of our listeners to go to that website, the Walking with Moms in Need website at USCCB to learn more and make sure that your parish is signed up for this effort. Really, it's it's an effort to make sure that we're assessing all of our current resources that are available to pregnant and parenting women and then redoubling, identifying any gaps that exist, um, filling those gaps and making sure that we've we've done that assessment so that we're ready to meet the needs of women and their children after whatever the, the, the Supreme Court comes down. So I, I love, I am so grateful to our colleagues at the conference who have, um, who have really put this forward to Archbishop Nauman and Archbishop Lori for their leadership. And another important thing to note is the contrast of what we're just talking about with these attacks on Catholic churches, you know, the vandalism, the firebombing of pro-life organizations. So we have this going on on one hand, showing the extremism, how the, the, the violence is being targeted to those individuals and the church for, for standing up for the rights of all, all children, all, all human life. And then in it, and then on the other hand, the, the the extreme contrast of that, of the services that we're providing every day and just making sure that whatever someone needs, whether it's shelter or a hot meal or a refuge fleeing from a war-torn country, we're here to help and we're providing those services. Yeah, it is such a contrast between a kind of destructive mode of engagement versus a constructive kind of always working to build up and to, to foster life. I just, as a follow-up to that, I can imagine somebody saying, well, that's great that the church does all of those things. I didn't know that. I'm glad to hear about it. But, you know, where's the connection with Religious Freedom Week? It's because I think most people think of Religious Freedom Week, they think of the hot-button issues. You know, they're not thinking about all of the, about social services. So can you just clarify that, like, because we talk about it here in the office, but what do, for others, what is the connection between religious freedom and all the great things the church is doing? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. And 
I've worked I've worked on religious freedom for a long time and public policy and um, advocacy work, and it's easy to kind of think of religious freedom as, as just a concept and as something that's mentioned in the First Amendment and just kind of put it in this abstract box, but religious freedom is is what we do when when we worship when the bishops administer the sacraments it that is religious freedom it's the the action and not not simply the concept of it and so um in the religious freedom debates there there have been state level debates about whether or not the church can provide services to unaccompanied minors or um, participate in other federal government programs. I think sometimes we think we also think about religious freedom just in the context of uh, maybe abortion or uh, other other kind of health care issues, but it's also the other aspects of how we are putting our our religious beliefs into action and and in the houses of worship. Um, vandalism issue, the attacks directed at Catholic churches, it is a threat to religious freedom when we are being, when our masses are being disrupted or our churches are being vandalized because we cannot uh, worship in safety and freedom if if we're facing those types of attacks. So um, I hope that kind of helps make the connection of, mm-hmm. of religious freedom not, not being just a concept but being what we are doing actively in our ministry by fulfilling the call to heal and serve and um, help the the poorest among us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the way we imagine religious freedom is so shaped by how it's generally taught in terms of conflicts. Like it's when it's taken away that then you realize, oh, there's a religious freedom issue. And so you're not really thinking that well, people just living out their faith, it's because they have religious freedom that they're living out their faith. You know, it don't, we only notice it or we only think about it when it gets restricted in some way. You know, I mean, pretty much all stories about religious freedom have to do with people being martyred or, or persecuted in some way. So I think, I think that's a good point. Like it's putting faith into action is exercising religious freedom. Finally, just as a last question, you know, what are what are your own hopes about Religious Freedom Week? What do you think it can be in the in the life of our church and in the life of our country, especially this year? You know, what what is it that you're hoping to see June 30th rolls around? What what do you hope has been accomplished? Well, I hope that we have a a good decision by the Supreme Court to allow states to take steps to protect preborn children in a way that they haven't been able to do um, since Roe. And so I really hope that we we have that, and I'm praying for that along with, with so many others. And when I, when I think of Religious Freedom Week, all of these, all of these pray, reflect, act opportunities that we have are so important. And I think we know that at the end of the day, the most effective thing that we can do is pray. And 
um, the prayer and fasting, I think, is especially important when we we know that we face just such an such an evil of 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 um, what abortion is, and and also the other ways that we see religious freedom restricted, um, especially in in persecuted places. So it's it's a um, it's a real spiritual battle, and I think that the prayer and fasting in particular can help us so much for the work that we need to do and to protect the church, to protect our, our churches and um, all of all of us as we're, we're worshiping um, in daily mass or um, on Sundays. So um, I'm hopeful for a good decision in the Dobbs case and a lot of prayers, all the graces that come with that. And uh, I didn't mention, but there's also another big religious freedom case at the court this year, uh, the Carson case. And so hopefully we'll also have a good uh, decision in that case as well. Chip away at the Blaine Amendment, so that'd be great. Um, Well, thanks again for taking the time. I know this is always, it always seems like this, kind of heading up to July is kind of a busy time before things sort of slow down. So thanks for taking the, taking the time to, to chat with me today. Great. It was a pleasure being with you, and I'm just grateful to all our listeners and for their support of Religious Freedom Week. So we've been talking with Lauren McCormick of the USCCB about Religious Freedom Week, which takes place June 22nd through the 29th. More information is available at www.usccb.org slash Religious Freedom Week. I'm Aaron Weldon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the First Freedom Podcast. (laughs) 